Today's episode highlights include advice on applying successfully to a DAD research grant, information for young families, German directness in academia and the benefits after the initial shock, American German lost in translation, and we also have a travel recommendation. This time, visit the Harz Mountains for its local beer and witchcraft, and you hear what's to see in the town of Halbstadt. My name is Hanni Geist. Welcome to Coffee Connections. Today's Coffee Connection is Jonathan Fine, visiting assistant professor of German at Brown University, DAD alumnus, and he's also DAD research ambassador since 2019. Have a listen. My name is Jonathan Fine, and I am a visiting assistant professor of German studies at Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island. If you were at a German cafe, since this is Coffee Connections, what would you order? Probably I would order a Mischkaffee, mm. my, generally my standard order. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about yourself and specifically your Germany connection. I've uh, taught at a number of institutions in the United States and also had several research days in Germany. I have a PhD in German from the University of California, Irvine. And my first experience with the day out of the day was as a graduate student there. And I started learning German actually as an undergrad at New York University. And my day a day grant was when I was a graduate student at the University of California, Irvine. And during the years 2010 to 2011, I spent uh, 10 months at uh, the University of Potsdam. For the research grant, you have to have a connection in Germany. So how did you go about that? Did you already have someone that you knew and you just needed to contact that person? Tell me a little bit more about the process. No, I, I had uh, not many connections in Germany at that point at all. I emailed a professor. I knew that the university in Potsdam had historically had a very strong reputation in the study of the German Enlightenment, which is my era. And so I emailed their current professor of intellectual history of the Enlightenment, and I explain my situation and that I needed a official affiliation while I was in Germany and had read his work, found it very exciting. And he uh, responded relatively quickly and gave me a, you know, typed up an email that I could submit with my application to the day out of day. And that was the start of my uh, affiliation in Germany. I think I would pass on the advice that I was given when I started to write my essays for the application, and that was to really make a case for why I needed to not just be in Germany, but in the area of Germany that I chose, Potsdam, because there are so many people who want to go to the Berlin area, to Potsdam, and that it would make my essay stand out more if I could ground my answers in very specific reasons for people that I wanted to work with, historical strength of Enlightenment studies in Potsdam, the particular archives that I wanted to visit, but not only that, but also larger academic movements within Germany. So I knew there was a group that was 
researching learned polemic in the early modern era and enlightenment. I knew they were just getting started. And so I could make a case that I wanted to be able to network with them as well. And um, and with regard to the archives, that was something that I was pretty specific in my application about which exact ones that I wanted to visit because I wasn't able, or at that point, they hadn't been digitized yet. And so I listed, you know, specific texts that I planned to work on and where I would need to go in order to be able to work with those texts. That sounds like a fairly lonely time going to archives and just reading. Did you actually also engage with researchers in Berlin? And specifically, you said that you had a host at the University of Potsdam. Did you meet with the professor? I did go to Potsdam and I sat in on a course for a while, but it was beginning to take up a bit too much time in terms of the reading. Then I noticed that I wasn't able to get to as many of the texts that I really needed to get to for my dissertation. So that was one of my regrets that I wasn't able to continue taking that course. In its place, I made sure that I went to as many talks that I could find in Berlin, in Potsdam, events that I could go in and meet whoever was speaking and perhaps ask some questions. I also presented at a few conferences. So I presented at one in Berlin at the Humboldt. I presented at a conference in Switzerland and then also at one in Edinburgh in the United Kingdom. And then one other thing that I did was the um, the group of scholars that was studying polemics. I contacted the organizers for that group and I asked if they would mind if I attended their meeting. They, I don't think any of the members of the group really expected me to be there. And I'm not sure how happy some of them were, but it was really a formative experience for me I had had professors from Germany in the United States, but I hadn't been enmeshed in a German academic culture, and I wasn't prepared for how direct it could be. So I got lots of... You mean of with their feedback about with, your work or in, in general? With their feedback about my work. So Americans, I found, are... <laughs> You know, tend to be very nice with everything. They package uh, everything nicely with the bow on top and ideally even the cherry. Yes. And the German scholars, thinking of one in particular, were uh, completely direct and said that I, you know, what I was doing wrong and feigned shock that I didn't know about certain things that they thought were important. And it turns out it, it wasn't you know, very important for my specific project, but they wanted to let me know that they their understanding of what I was doing was, I should have been doing something different, I guess. How did you deal with that? And I guess realizing that this is a cultural difference, but I assume this is quite harsh, especially if you're a PhD student and you're not 100% sure in what you're doing. So how did you deal with that? At that point, I was just kind of shocked because It was the first time anything like that had happened to me. So I said, thank you. And I will have to look into the episodes that you mentioned because I was not aware of them. And I, you know, fortunately, that was enough. I uh, left it there. In years since then, so in the, I guess, decades since then, I've gotten better 
at anticipating what types of questions I'm going to get asked. And so when I do get those very blunt, very German academic questions about what is the value of this research? Why are you dedicating your time to it when you could those be doing really something else? Those are really profound questions. Um, well, yeah, they, they are quite profound questions, but I've come to, you know, to my own answer for those questions. And I think, I think as an American, to you know, be able to come back with them, those answers is, is good. I think that's, you know, that's something that Americans don't always do because there's a very different academic culture here. But to be able to come back directly and take on the criticism and acknowledge it, but try to justify your own approach, I think that in the end makes you know, greater respect among the you know, different scholars when they're talking. So what advice would you give, maybe even yourself, if you had the chance to go back 10 plus years and how to prepare and maybe how to react and how to take those very direct questions and comments from German professors? I probably should have told myself that, you know, these, these people that I'm meeting with, these are experts in the field. They've obviously been studying things for many, many more years than I have. And I, I don't need to feel bad about myself that I'm not as versed in these specific subject areas that they've dedicated their lives to, and that I was just at the start of my academic career. And I think if I had maybe repeated that a few more times, it would have been less dramatic experience. <laughs> In my own experience in studying in Germany, I also noticed that with younger professors, especially the ones who've studied abroad, maybe did research abroad, I think their approach in, in teaching and their approach in giving feedback is also a little bit different than from what the older generation, how they give feedback and how they teach. Yes, I, I noticed that during that meeting, the um, organizers of the event that permitted me to attend were younger, had experience abroad, whereas some of the experts, including the one who really challenged me, was an older expert from outside invited to address the younger scholars. And I could see in terms of how the older professors were addressing everyone that it wasn't just a thing that they were singling me out. I could tell that this was just their overall approach to really any project that was going to be presented to them. So that after I saw that this was just the atmosphere, it was a bit easier. You are a scholar of German and that's part of your work. But in addition to that, how did your Germany experience, starting with the first study abroad to then later research experiences, how did that shape your career? It was crucial. I am an American in German studies. And one of the very important things that for Americans is that they attain near native fluency in German so that they can begin instructing American undergraduates in German teaching in the language. And really, the only way to do that is to spend substantial amounts of time in Germany. And so I I had studied German as an undergrad, and, and I was enrolled as a, a graduate student in German in California, but I, I, I really needed the experience of an extended period of time, of, you know, 10 months, a year, to really be able to integrate myself into Germany, to have to deal with all of life's little problems. Um, and that was when I got a better sense of my fluency in the language and how I could um, 
you know, when I was handling things in the emergency room at 2 a.m. Um, oh, no. It's, uh, it's, it's um, you know, you, you start to understand how you, you know, you're, you're attaining that fluency, level of fluency that you need in order to be able to teach the language. Well, certainly in a very stressful situation. Uh, yeah, so um, <laughs> I, I guess, it, yeah, it was uh, not fun, um, but um, it did, you know, it, it showed me that, you know, I, I was able to handle all of the medical issues I could. Um, I We had a, a uh, plumbing leak situation uh, in our building, and I was able to, you know, deal with that. And it's, um, you know, that was good because it's, you know, that's not book vocabulary. That's, um, yeah. you know, it's easy. It's, in the in the United States, we teach at least the intro courses out of a book. Uh, we're learning how people speak or should speak grammatically, but that can be quite different in actual practice. And, and the vocabulary that you use to handle issues like a burst uh, or an overflowing tub—that's um, <laughs> uh, you know that that's not really an issue that comes up in a. First it's typically, term, it, yeah, that's typically not the vocabulary that you're expected to learn. Yeah, I, I, I guess it's good that I had those uh, horrible midnight experiences. And so, looking back now, for someone who's interested in in going abroad to either study or do research, what kind of advice do you have? Or looking back, what are maybe the questions that you had that you wish someone had answered? I found navigating the bureaucracy of daily life to be a bit German, you know, very German. German. Yeah, it's very German. <laughs> um, and I, I, all I can say, I guess, is that every time I've gone back to Germany, it's gotten better in terms of, I, you know, I know what to expect. I, um, I'm better able to uh, respond to the civil servants that I meet with and uh, know how to play along with the system. When I when I first started going, I did not know. And I think at times they might have taken advantage of that uh, a little. They could have easily clarified things, I, I think, um, but chose not to. Um, so that, that made it uh, a bit difficult. We're not used to um, all of the forms that you need and all of the certifications. Uh, so I remember just for my birth certificate, um, I needed to get it certified by the city and then the state and just going back and forth so that it would be uh, recognized in Germany. So going through those steps, I think it's it's become easier over the years. I remember when I first went to the Ausländerbehörde, which was probably 2006, uh, it was a horrible experience that I had to get up at 4 a.m. And so I would have a space in line and definitely be able to get in that day. Whereas now I believe they have a cart that sells coffee and a playroom for children even. So they, they, they've made it much more manageable to have your whole family there and to make it a more pleasant experience. But I believe even, they also, most of those... Offices at this point also have an online system where you can book an appointment where you may have to wait a little bit, but it sounds like nothing that you just mentioned getting up at four o'clock in the morning. I think that used to be that way, but I think most of the offices arrived in the 21st century and mm -hmm. make online appointments available. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think 
in terms of the life in Germany after you registered everything and done everything, there is a lot of considerations, especially you know, if you're bringing your spouse, what whether your spouse can work in Germany or not is something to consider. It's so one time that my wife and I uh, and our eldest daughter went to Germany. My wife was able to get a work permit, but the first time she was not. So that can change your experience radically. Germany, um, which is something I didn't expect when I, you know, before living there with my family, because um, my entire experience was an undergrad, unmarried, and um, then I went back with a one-and-a-half-year-old child and my wife, and I was surprised by how family-friendly it was. I found it a lot more friendly in, to families than uh, California, where we were coming from, and then a lot of the other places in the United States that I've lived. It does present some challenges, especially when you go back and forth between two school systems, uh, which is something that I've noticed. So, for instance, during my second longer stay in Germany, when I had a postdoc at the Freie Universität uh, in Berlin, I, my daughter was five. So if she, we had been in the United States, she would have gone to kindergarten and started learning to read. That's something that German students don't do until sit, they're six and they go into you know, the Einschulung the first class, and uh, there's a very strong separation there between um, kindergarten, kita, and the actual school, whereas um, it's not exactly the same split in the United States. Uh, so we took Shoshana, my daughter, to Germany at uh, in American kindergarten and had a very hard time finding a school that would at least uh, expose her to uh, reading. Uh, most of the Germans that we talked to thought that the idea that teaching a five-year-old, starting uh, to teach a five-year-old how to read was torture and couldn't believe that was something that we would even want our uh, five-year-old to do. So it, it presented a struggle, you know, going there and coming back and trying to negotiate the two uh, approaches. So do you have any advice for someone who is thinking about going to Germany with a family? Like, where did you find information, for example, and resources? Uh, just Googling. Um, mm. So uh, there are several different um, online forums. Uh, one thing that really uh, helped me is there is a listserv called Berlin Scholars, and it's probably 20 plus years old now. And it's something that my wife and I joined when we went to Berlin as a family. And it's English speakers, so mostly professors and also some artists who have come to Berlin and they need advice on really anything. So it's, um, you know, where's a good doctor? Where's you know, some apartments to rent, good things to do with kids. And so that was really helpful in terms of just uh, knowing what was out there and, um, you know, what we could do with our child. How did you look for ways to improve your language skills and also kind of get out of the university bubble? Yeah, I, I took advantage of the opportunity that we were in Germany to um, you know, travel around. I had been to some of the bigger cities, but I wanted to see some of the smaller towns. That's something that I've also, now that I have students and then encouraging them to get to Germany, something I encourage them to do is to go outside of the uh, 
the ring around Berlin. So I have a lot of students that they want to go to Berlin and spend time, you know, not out necessarily outside of the ring. So I, I tell them really to, you know, explore and to go to these small German cities and, uh, you know, see what Germany is actually like outside of the center of the major metropolises. Although I, I do want them, of course, to, you know, visit Cologne and Munich and, you know, all the big cities. But I think there's great education in just renting a car and driving the Autobahn and seeing where that leads you, uh, you know, which cities come up along the way. And you get to see a lot more and experience a lot more of what Germany is that the inside a major city you don't necessarily have. That's a beautiful segue to actually one of my questions. So what lesser known place would you recommend visit travelers visit in Germany? You mentioned that you really enjoy exploring the smaller towns, but do you have maybe a favorite place that you would recommend travelers visit? Yeah, so I had a lot of fun exploring the smaller towns in the Harz Mountains, which are in the center of Germany. There are quite a few that are really are worth visiting. I'd probably single out Goslar, which is, I think, mm -hmm. one of the larger ones. And it has, uh, so it's famous for its beer that is not quite, you know, it's, it's a traditional beer, so it doesn't follow all of the laws of German beer purity, but it's in sample the real recipe there. Witchcraft is a major, tourism around witchcraft is a major thing in the Harz Mountains. So there are also smaller cities that we visited, Vandenberg, uh, Fjernigerode. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I forced my wife to take a short uh, detour to Halberstadt, but she still <laughs> has not uh, forgiven me for. Um, what is there to see? Why would I be interested in that place? Well, well, I'm an 18th centuryist, uh, so I, I study 18th century, um, mostly the literary, religious, and philosophical history. And uh, there was a poet who was um, quite well known. Uh, so his last name is Gleim, and he lived in Halberstadt. And his house is, or at least I think it's been rebuilt, um, but his house is there. And so you can go and uh, visit, you know, where he lived, and he's mostly known today by the fact that he was friends with pretty much all of the major figures in Germany at the time. Uh, we don't tend to read his poetry as much anymore, or as much as it was once read. Uh, so I hadn't been planning on going there, but I saw that there was a um, off-ramp to Hadestadt, and <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just took it, and I, I knew the house was there. I was lucky that it was open <laughs> that day, and so I took my wife and daughter to Hatherstadt. Uh, she was <laughs> five years old and didn't really uh, appreciate it, I think. My wife uh, wasn't that happy either, but we uh, got to walk around the city and we got to, you know, take pictures of Climb House, and so it was a, it was a fun experience, at least for me. You already said that you would love Americans or internationals to really get out of the centers of, of Germany and really explore Germany and the smaller towns. What else would you like Americans to know about Germany? Been a wonderful experience for me each time that it's I've been there. I, I would I really think that you know how family friendly it was or and still is was the most important thing for me, especially as a young father. It was very 
easy to raise a child there. And that's something I appreciated a lot. Um, it's not, you know, it's not easy everywhere, but it seems like there was a concerted effort uh, at multiple levels to make it an easier thing to do. And that's something that I really appreciated. I was wondering, since you've been to Germany now a few times, if you have any fun story or anything that's memorable to you that you can remember that you could share? I, uh, one thing just, I oh, guess, um, so cultural differences. I, this was from my time as a Volkswagen Stiftung fellow. I had a German student who assisted me with organizing a conference that I put on and she, her English was very good. She, we spoke in English. She really wanted to improve her English. And this was part of internationalization for her, for her work history. And so I was rather casual in how I spoke with her. And one thing I had to change something at the last minute. And I wrote, you're going to hate me for this, <laughs> which is an American phrase that obviously doesn't mean that this person actually <laughs> hates you. Um, it just means it, it's, it's, it's a major change. It's an inconvenience at the last minute and sorry. Um, but she had obviously had never heard that before mm -hmm. and was um, very offended. She thought um, and wrote me a long email about how we had a good working relationship and how she uh, definitely doesn't hate me and doesn't you know view our relationship in terms of you know, hate or like, it's uh, work. Um, and, I, and, I, and I had to explain, you know, no, this is really not serious. This is just a idiom that I used and should have thought through. But I, I've been too casual, I guess, and uh, should have been aware that that might not necessarily be something that a, an English language learner would have come across. But it just shows that it's just so common. You don't even think about the individual words. I guess it's the same for me that I had to learn when people here ask, how are you doing? They really don't want to know how I'm doing. Yes, so I have exactly. to remind myself that this is just a, another way of saying hello or good morning is uh, the how are you doing? But I that was the, the phrase that I had to grapple with the most. And I know that a lot of Germans do not understand yes uh, and and that's something we have we have a lot of you know german graduate students here who yeah i think they're adjusting to that as well the you know they know they need to say it but it's uh, just very strange to them so what is your what is your i mean that's, that's your profession and hopefully um, this is the right path for you and your, but you do seem very passionate about it. What is your favorite part about this? Um, I, I really, I work on literary and intellectual history uh, mostly. Uh, so I, I think what, you know, I really enjoy is being able to, um, you know, show students texts and then hopefully work their you know, work through them with the students so that they understand the deeper meaning, the deeper level, um, you know, what things truly mean. And when they get that uh, overall grasp of whatever it is that we're discussing, that's, um, you know, that's what makes me the happiest. So when you see a light bulb go off. Exactly. 
So you, since last year, are a DAD Research Ambassador. How did you make the decision to become a DAD Research Ambassador? And then also, what does that entail for you, being a Research Ambassador on your campus? So I received an email, I think maybe from the Day-Out-Day -Day Alumni Association, about the Research Ambassador program, which I hadn't heard of before. I thought I already encourage students to consider day-to-day -day fellowships you know, for either undergraduate or graduates of uh, research and that this would be a good opportunity to familiarize myself more with the broad range of programs because I, I had the most experience with the research grants so that's what I could talk about the most and but I didn't have a day-to-day -day grant as an undergraduate um, I haven't had other you know I well, I guess I wasn't even aware of the many, many different programs the day a day has. And so when I was able to go to New York and go for the training, it was sometimes a bit overwhelming in that the, the, there's so many different opportunities, it's uh, kind of hard to keep track. But I now have a better grasp on everything, and I'm able to at least you know, point students in different directions. And ultimately, I, I know that they have to do a lot of work on their own, deciding what their goals are. But I at least know the how to guide them towards where they might fit. And that's really all that we can ask for, because I know for myself, when I started in this position, I was very overwhelmed with all the opportunities that were available and the details. So if you just know that there are a lot of opportunities and you convey that to your students, but then let them know that we in the San Francisco and New York office are happy to answer any additional questions, because again, it's just so much that we can't expect you to know all the details. Yeah, and then that's what I tell my students that, you know, even if, you know, it doesn't look like there is a good match, you you never know, you know, there there may be something you're not looking at or something you, you know, just need to email someone and they'll be able to point you and say, actually, we do have a program that would fit perfectly for you. If someone wanted to get in touch with you to talk to you about your experience in Germany or just in general, your research here in the United States or teaching um, experiences, how would one get in touch with you the best? Um, so I, uh, you can email me, um, Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N underscore fine, F-I-N-E at brown.edu. I also have uh, some of my research on my website, uh, jonathanblakefine.com. And um, I'm always happy to discuss any aspects with people who might be interested. You heard the fifth episode of Coffee Connections, today with Jonathan Fine, assistant professor of German at Brown University and one of DAD's dedicated research ambassadors in the United States. All content is created and edited by me, Hani Geist. If you would like to get in touch, send an email to podcast at dad.org. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you at the next coffee break.